0: Again, glad that you're here, glad you made the effort to be here. I want to encourage you every single week, uh, say it every week, to not only come, not only plan to come, but plan to invite somebody to come with you. I tell you all the time, one of the greatest things I believe we're doing as a church is saying to me, and this is what the Bible says, it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ who is a man. So again, glad you're here. I want to encourage you to think about every single week uh, who you can invite to join you. Today, we're again Uh, In the process of winding down our study in 1 John, we've gone verse by verse through the entire letter of 1 John. Uh, Next week will be our last week. We're going to have one verse next week that will end our study. And and, and really all through this letter, uh, the Apostle John has been addressing false teachers and false teachings. And and these things have sprung up in the church. He has to address it. He sees the danger of these potential uh, teachings grabbing hold in the church. And so that's why he writes the letter. Now, let me say this today and be very sure of this. The most dangerous thing, the most dangerous threat to the church today is not outside of the church. Uh, Today we see the government, we see changes in our government, we see those that are opposed to God, and that's a growing bunch of folks. We see those that that hate our belief system, and those are real threats today. I want to tell you, those are real threats, but the most dangerous threat to the church is what could spring up in the church in the way of false teachers and false teachings. Here's the reality of that. Think about this. Anytime people have threatened the gospel, it has spread. Anytime there's been there's been pressure put on the church, the gospel has gone out. Go look at the book of Acts. They intensely persecute the church. What happens? They're persecuted in Jerusalem, the good news spreads out of that. Anytime people have threatened the gospel, the gospel has spread. And so you know what? I'm not too worried about the, the, the influence or the attack of those outside of the church. Anytime there's been a threat against the gospel, the gospel has spread. But anytime people have changed the gospel, the gospel dies. Anytime you change the gospel, the gospel loses its impact. Anytime you change the gospel, the gospel loses its power. And so the greatest threat for the church today is not going to be an outside force. Those are real, but the greatest threat is what could happen if false teachers and false teachings show up in the church. Well, all the way through the letter, all the way through the book, John has been addressing these false teachers and their false teachings. Really, and I think it's a very interesting thing how hard he is or, or really how plain spoken he is. All the way through the book, he's been pointing out this is real and this is false. And really, it's a, it's a pretty pretty straightforward letter. You say you love God, but you hate your neighbor, that's false. And he's, and he's just moved his way through it. You know what, this is real and this is false. Well, today, again, in our next last week, again, he points out the real and the false. Today he takes up an issue, uh, the issue of sin. This is real and this is false. Today the issue is sin. Today we're in 1 John chapter five. I'm gonna look at verses 18 and 19 and then I'm gonna jump to verse 21. Next week I will finish with verse 20. 1 John chapter five, today verses 18 and 19 and the verse 21. Let me read those verses and then we'll come back and look at them. 1 John 5, beginning in 18, says this, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Down to verse 21. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. All right, let's look at those verses piece by piece, starting again in verse 18. It starts off and it says this. We know that no one born of God. Now understand, this is talking about a person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. We are born of God, we are born again when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So this is talking about a person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. We know that no one born of God it says this, sins. We know that no one who's put their faith in Jesus Christ sins. Now, that's a pretty hard thing, but listen. Be sure and understand this. As Christians, we sin. For sure, that's the reality. As, as Christians, you sin, we you sin. I sin as followers of Jesus Christ. Be sure, as Christians, we sin. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about living in sin. This is talking about existing in sin. Really, it's talking about the pattern of your life. Now, what the verse is saying is this. No one who is saved, no one who's put their faith in Jesus Christ can live in a state of sin, can exist in a state of sin. Now, let me explain that. as Christians... The Bible says that we are a new creation. God says that. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. As a Christian, you're a new creation. The Bible says that we have new hearts. Psalm 51 says, give me a new heart. Ex nihilo, create a new heart in me. As Christians, we have new hearts. As Christians, the Bible says, We have a new Lord, and our Lord is not the the Lord of this world. It's not the Lord of ourself. We have a new Lord, and it's our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, when we are saved, Christ lives in us. It is no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us, Galatians 2.20. The Bible says that when when we're saved, when we're Christians, the Holy Spirit of God seals us, and fills us to the day of redemption. Ephesians 1.13 says that. And so understand, as believers, we have a new heart. We're a new creation. We have a new Lord. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, Christ lives in us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what that means is this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are transformed. Now, what that means is this. As a Christian... We're different. We're different. There's no no way to not be different when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. As a Christian, we are different. Now, Now, what that looks like is this. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when I claim him as my Savior, sin bothers me. Sin hurts me. Really, sin should repulse me. And the truth is, yes, we sin, yes, we mess up, yes, we sin, but the truth is we are are sickened over our sin. As Christians, we hate our sin, and that drives us back to Christ. That drives us to repent and to turn away from that sin. Now, what what that looks like is this. If you are fine with your sin, if you can somehow overlook your sin, if you can explain away your sin, very simply, if your sin doesn't bother you, you're not saved. That's, that's what John says here. You know what, if sin doesn't bother you, if sin doesn't somehow discomfort you, if, if sin doesn't put an agitation in, in the depth of your soul, it's because you're not born again, you're not saved. Today, there's a, there's a movement and, and I see it taking root Uh, It's a a movement called a hyper-grace movement, and and really what it teaches is this. God forgives sin, and so we'll not be that worried about sin, and that's that's really the the thought of the movement. Now, they wouldn't say it that plainly, but you know what? God God forgives sin, and in his grace, he's going to forgive sin, and so I'm not going to be too worried about sin. What it basically means is this, God will just have to eat my sin, and so I'll do what I want. Listen, what what this is saying is this. If that is your heart, if sin doesn't hurt you, if sin against the holy God doesn't bother you, if sin doesn't drive you to say, you know what, I'm I'm sick of this and I'm gonna repent and ask Christ to forgive me, if if sin doesn't cause you to wanna walk with Christ, if that's your heart, you're not saved. That's That's what John says. We know that no one who is born of God sins. That is not the pattern of our life as a Christian. Now, here's the good news. Now, that's a pretty hard statement. It's, it's the biblical truth. It's, it's the word of God, but it's a pretty hard statement. But here is the good news. It says this, the same verse continues on. But he, now speaking of Jesus, but he who is born of God, the only begotten son born of God, speaking of Jesus but he keeps him. Now, now, I want you to hear what that, what that is saying. Here's the good news. Christ keeps us. Christ keeps us. We are different, but it's Christ who makes us different. Sometimes you think, well, it's my willpower, my strength, my, my, the thoughts of my mind. Listen, we're different, yes, but it's Christ who makes us different. We are changed, but the good news, it is Christ who changes us? Be, be sure today, we are saved because Christ saves us. Do you see the gospel coming out in this? We stay saved because Christ keeps us saved. That's what it says, Christ keeps us. I want you to understand this. You didn't do anything good enough to be saved. In fact, the opposite. The Bible says our best deeds are but filth unrighteousness in God's sight. You didn't quit cussing long enough. You didn't attend church long enough. You didn't start treating your wife differently so long enough to impress God that he would say, you know what, I would save them. While you were yet a sinner, God in his grace saved you. Christ saved you. Christ changes you. Christ transforms you. And this verse says, Christ keeps you. I want to tell you, that's a lot of good news for me. I will fall short. I will mess up. I will speak big now and mess up in two hours. But you know what? It is Christ who changes. Christ who transforms because it is Christ who has saved. And then the verse says this, and the evil one, this is even better news, does not touch him. Satan does not touch him. Now we, we live, in fact, I had a discussion with somebody just the other day. Well, Satan made me do this. And I was doing pretty well, then Satan caused me to do this. Uh, We live in an age where we give a whole lot uh, of credit to Satan, really too much credit to Satan. The word touch here in the Greek means lay hold of him. It means this, as a believer in Jesus Christ, listen, Satan can tempt you, yes. Satan can lure you, yes. Satan can set snares for you, yes. Satan can set traps for you, but he cannot have you. You belong to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you, that's, that is awesome news. That's great news. Listen, Satan cannot have me because I am kept in Jesus Christ. Verse 19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the In the power of the evil one. Again, we see here in verse 19, and we've seen it all the way through the letter there are only two realities. There are only two systems. Sometimes we live in this day of relativism, and we'll say, you know what? Maybe there's three systems. Maybe there's four systems. Maybe your system is valid as anybody else's system. Listen, there's only two systems, there's only two realms, and there is no middle ground. There is God's system and there is the world's system. You can't read 1 John and not see that. There, There are the things of God, and there are the things of the world. There are two realities, two systems, God's system and the world's system. Means this, all things are either of God or they're of the world. John says this, and we know we are of God. Talking to Christians, we know We are of God. Listen, you are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ saved you. Christ changes you. You're held by Christ. John says, we know we are of God. Now, here's the problem. The problem is when those who are of God, those who are bought through the blood of Jesus Christ, those who are redeemed through the cross of Calvary, the problem is when those of God try to again exist like those who belong to the world. You see the problem in that? You see the the falsehood in that, really the hypocrisy in that? When those who are of Christ try to live again like they belong to the world. Now listen very carefully, men. Here's what that means. There is no middle ground. You see, I, I grew up in an age where we act like maybe it's a little bit gray. You know what, the goal of Christianity is not to make your parents look too bad and be sure and go to heaven. Listen, there is no middle ground. There is no half-hearted commitment to Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? There's no halfway commitment to Jesus Christ. You're either committed to Jesus Christ and you're totally committed to Jesus Christ and the response of your heart is to give yourself to Jesus Christ or you're not, you're committed to the world. What it means is this, there's no half-stepping. We, we live in an age where we want to half-step. We want to split the middle on everything. I see people this, just this week, you know what? I love Democrats and I love Republicans. Listen, you can't be both. I love right and I love wrong. That's what we say. You know, you can't be both. There's no half-stepping. You're either in the things of the world or you're in the things of Christ. That, that's, the, that's the truth. You either belong to God and you serve God and you exist for the glory of God. You wake up in the morning existing for his purpose or you belong to the world. All the way through the letter, there's false and there's real. There's fake and there's real. He says, let's be real. Listen, there is no half-stepping. There's no half-hearted commitment to Christ. You're either existing for the glory of him as a saved person, or you're apart from him and you exist for the world. Our world has lied to us, and very sadly, some in the church have lied to us and have told us that we can somehow have it both ways. Well, John says this, you can't have it both ways. If your heart is to have it both ways, he's telling us here, you know what, maybe you need to check your heart. Maybe you need to check how you see our God. Now listen to all this. Yes, we do sin. We sin, we fail miserably. We do, I do, you do. When we do, we confess our sin. He forgives us of our sin. But listen, that's not the pattern of our life. The the reality is this, the more we love God, the more we should be disturbed by our sin. The more we love Christ, the more we should be disturbed by our sin. Here's what I see today in 2018. I'm raising kids in this generation. Today, we are becoming comfortable with sin. Well, you know what? That's That's their truth. Well, you know what? Colorado's got a different truth. We become comfortable with sin. We become easy with our sin. You know what? Well, it's just a movie. Raise a 10-year-old today. Well, how many cuss words you want to hear? 10? Eight? Well, this only has two. It's PG-13. We become easy with sin. We become dull to our sin. Well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not really that bad, is it? Well, surely I'm better than I was. Well, surely I'm better than they are for sure. I'm better than they're doing. And we have become dull to our sin. The truth of all this is this. Our love for God should drive us to be disturbed in our sin. Plain as that. This is sure condemning. No, it's not. This This is the truth. Our love for God should drive us to be disturbed in our sin. In the last verse, verse 21. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Very fitting conclusion. Little children, guard yourselves from idol. Idols. An idol is anything that you place above God. Now, we we might say, well, it's this golden statue. No, it's not that. It is anything that you place above God. It is anything that you love more than God. It is anything in our age that you serve more than God. Isn't it interesting that he ends the letter? This is the last verse. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Stay away from the falsehood. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. And then he says this, and guard yourselves from idols. The word for guard here, the original language means keep from, keep yourself from idols. It means be diligent to be aware. Be diligent to see how you're creeping one way. Be diligent to see where you're drifting. The best definition i found says protect. Protect yourselves from idols. Here's how this concludes. That is a choice. That is a choice. That's not some mystical thing. Boom, hey, they're not not drawn to idols anymore. That That is a choice. That is a response. Let me just tell you the truth is we are given to idol worship. I am, you are, we are naturally inclined to put anything and sometimes everything above our God. We have to protect, we have to do the things that would keep us away from idols. That's how 1 John ends. I wanna make that very practical. You know what? We've been saved with a magnificent salvation. You know what? There's no way I should be saved There is no way that a God that is holy and pure and pristine should want two seconds with me. But in his grace and in his love, he sends his only begotten son and he he dies on the cross of Calvary. He becomes my sin. The wrath of God is poured out upon him on the cross. He takes my sin, beaten beyond recognition on my half. That is the salvation that I hold. He comes out of the grave. He's alive. He's victorious. That is the savior that I follow. But you know what? It says this, In that light, I am to protect. I am to do the things that would keep me away from idols. What does that look like? What what does that look like? And I'll just tell you, there's lots of ways. You know what? There's some places we ought not go anymore as Christians. As, As hard as it sounds, there's some people we probably ought not run around with as Christians, there's some movies I ought not watch as a Christian. There's some songs that I used to sing, and I know in my heart, that I ought not sing as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of ways to protect myself from idols. But here, here, is, the, here is the best way. We have to constantly set God before us. And this sounds, that sounds like a crazy thing. But how, how do you best keep yourself from idols? We have to constantly set God before us. Now, what that means is this, and I've realized this over the last 10 years. When I begin to actually see God for who he is, these ridiculous, cheap idols of this world start to be dull to me. When I start to truly understand who God is, when I start to truly understand who my savior, Jesus Christ is, these things that I thought were attractive all of a sudden begin to to dull in their attractiveness. And what that means is this. When I I start to see God, and He's the creator of all things and He speaks all things into existence. Not one thing exists that He hasn't spoken into existence. When I see the power of God Everything is sustained in his hand. You know why this world hasn't flown apart? It's not because of an election. It's because of a mighty God who holds it in his hand. A powerful God, a mighty God, a majestic God. When I start to understand how wise God is, how crazily, infinitely wise he is, never has made a mistake, infinitely wise. When I start to see how just he is, how pure he is, how holy he is, when I start to understand the grace of God, the tremendous grace of God. He forgives my sin. When I start to understand the love of God, that he would send his only begotten son, the tremendous eternal love of God, as I start to see that, as I start to see the mercy of God, that he took my punishment and he withheld it from me for for just faith in Christ, when I start to see that God is faithful and not one word that he's ever spoken has failed to come to pass, when I start to see that he's trustworthy in all things, when I start to see the splendor of God and revelation, revelation when it says the angels are going to say holy 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 is the lord god almighty and jesus is going to be seated on the throne and his light's going to illumine the whole heavens and he sits there as the risen lamb of god when i start to set god before me the idols of this world become putrid here's what we have to do we have to put christ before us we have to hold god before us Very simple. How do we do that? It's in his word. It's in his word. We have to be men of the word of God. We have to know our God not because our granny sang us a song but because we know of his character. We know of his power, his majesty through his word. A whole letter, John says this. Here's the truth, here's the truth, here's the false, here's the truth. Listen, we have the truth. Let us be men Of this truth. Glad you're here today. I'm gonna ask if you'll stand out and lead us in a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Glad you're here. Dear Father, we come today. I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful that that as a sinner, and yes, I'm a sinner, that you love me. And I can't figure that out. The greatest miracle of all miracles is that you love us as, as rebellious sinners and that you send your only begotten son. He, he pays the fullness of the penalty. He saves us completely, the book of Hebrews says, and that, we, that we're saved not of any work that we couldn't do, but by faith in God's grace. I thank you and I praise you. Lord, I'm thankful for your word that I can see in Genesis your power of creation, that I can see as we move through your plan of salvation your grace and your mercy shown through Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm thankful that as I see the end and the splendor of how it ends in perfection, I pray that the sorry, messed up, worthless things of this world will begin to be smaller. The things that once drew me in, the things that once led me astray would would turn my heart and I would look to you. And I pray for men in this room that would be the same. Lord, we love you, we praise you. Help us, encourage us. Use this for your glory, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.